0: Hello, and welcome to the Living Word Pensacola podcast. Here you will find teaching from our weekly services where we focus on developing a Christ-centered life. We are delighted you have chosen to spend time with us today. And we know today's message has the power to help you grow with your faith journey. So let's turn our hearts and our minds to God's word as we begin today's episode. Well, welcome to Living Word Church. I'm glad you guys are all here today. Living Word Pensacola was established a year ago, December 3rd, and it's been a fantastic year of things that God's done. We started off in our house. We've grown into a church building, and uh, hopefully next week a church building that's a little warmer than it is today as I'll come up, and I already checked the forecast. supposed to be just cold next Sunday, if not a little cooler, so I'll be turning the heat on the night before, and it should be warm by the time we get here, so... But This morning, the Lord wants to talk to us about 2024 and beyond. He wants to talk a little bit about vision of the church. We had our uh, December board meeting, and I'm very thankful for our board. For those that don't know, Dave is, on, Dave is on our board, as well as Jesse, who visited with his baby a few weeks ago, if you met Jesse, um, as well as my uh, really close friend, Zach Meese, and his wife, Hannah, who live in Illinois. And then my wife and myself, and that is our that is our current church board, uh, as set by the bylaws that we all have of our uh, corporation standards and all the things required by law to be a 501c3. Um, we got uh, great friends to help us start the church, and they'll stay on there until the church grows and we have people that the Lord leads us to... Uh, to invite to join the board, which is a completely different level. It's a different different commitment level, and when that happens, it'll happen, but until then, we're just happy everybody's coming, and uh, so you never know one of these days, it might, Lord, say, you know, tag, tag, you're it, so you might be it, but until then, you know, I just do what the Lord says to do. But today we're going to talk about vision. We're going to talk about what God has for us and the, the quintessential vision scripture in the Bible that most people go to is Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. This morning I want to read it. It's, it's on your notes there in the Passion Translation. Where there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. I just really liked the way it said it. But basically where there is no vision, the people perish is what it says in the King James there's no vision that people perish. And by perish, what it's talking about is you, you don't succeed in life. You basically die to all the things that God wants to do through you and with you in this world. And that you, you wander away from the things of God when there's nothing that's clear, nothing that's written down. It's another reason why I printed the notes today, because on the front side, I want to talk about vision a little bit, but on the back, we're going to go into some details of what God has called us to do as a church. And I'll expound on all of the things that are listed on there, but if we don't know where we're going, we will never know when we hit the target, right? If you don't know what you're aiming for, you'll never know if you hit it. So we got to know where we're heading. We got to know why we're heading that way. We got to know why God called us that way. And then a part of that too is we want to talk about the money that's coming in and where your money's going to go and things that we need to start saving up for, things we need to start giving towards, uh, planning for the future, so on and so forth. And we'll get into that later on. But in Genesis 37, there's a story, um, and in your notes, it just has the scripture on there, but I'm going to read it to you, and you can just sit and listen, or you can open your Bible and follow along if you'd like to. But this is a story of, of uh, Jacob and Joseph. Now, it says in Genesis 37, 1, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. Joseph was 17 when God started giving him the vision for his life. He was pretty young, right? And he was feeding the flock with his brothers. Now, was Joseph sitting at home doing nothing? No. What was he doing? He was working for the father. He was putting his hand to something, which is why we tell our boys, you're gonna get a job at an early age, you're gonna get your hand to something, you are start doing something. I don't raise unproductive children because we don't want to be unproductive adults, right? I, I know way too many people. I've got my pros and cons when it comes to video games, you know, at the time, we allowed video games in our house. Now I'm questioning whether I should have ever allowed video games in the first place because they're just a huge time waster. But nonetheless, how many of you know 30-something-year-old men? They're just sitting home playing video games all the time, right? Because that's what they were raised. They were raised to do nothing, to put their hand to nothing. Well, our boys, I was very proud at 13, out to tasselings. Anybody not know what to tassling is? It's a, it's a cornfield thing. We're, we grew up in cornfields of Illinois is where they grew up, right? So detasseling is what it, it, when you have seed corn. Just like you have, um, I actually was talking to someone recently about putting fruit trees in my yard. And they were saying, well, double check, some fruit trees, Miss Leslie was saying, you need the male and female so for, for cross-pollination so it produces fruit. Otherwise you'll have a tree that'll grow and look great, but it won't do anything because there's no pollination. Corn's the same way you have male corn rows and female corn rows, and there's this breeding that happens to create the produce that comes out well in a seed corn field you act the, the breeding is done in the yellow tassel at the top of a corn stalk that yellow tassel is part of the breeding process and so they will have where they cut all the female rows and leave the male row tassel on, but the female ones have to be off. So there's certain pollination doesn't happen so that the seed that they harvest becomes seed for the future, not seed for the current. They, there's a and I don't understand the full one, a fullness of it. All I know is they run a machine through the field and they cut most of the tassels off. And it's so important that those tassels are gone. They then hire and pay teenagers to walk through the cornfield to make sure the machine didn't miss anything. So they want no tassels left on because it ruins the crop, okay? So at thirteen years old, Aiden and Brock and I did it when I was growing up and I hated every minute of it. Twelve? At twelve. Twelve years old. They were hired and they were out in the cornfields walking through the mud. Did you detassel Dave? Dave detasseled. I hated every I hated detasseling. I learned a lot of life lessons with detasseling, but they were out there working hard and they had their hand to something. I believe that's important as a church that we don't wait until we are many more people before we put our hand to something and that's what that's what the point I was making with that we need to start doing things now as God is leading us to do things in the future right might not be at the scale of where we're supposed to end up but we need to do something and we'll get into that now in verse 3 Israel loved Joseph he loved Joseph Joseph wasn't his oldest but his love for Joseph was so vast that the rest of the brothers knew about it right and more than all his other children because he was the son of his old age also he made him a tunic of many colors we know about joseph's technicolor dream coat right as they've often coined it but when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him now unfortunately we have this in america right now how many churches think that god loves another church more than them And now all of a sudden we have church against church, denomination against denomination, family against family, when God's trying to lead all of us into a place of provision. And yet some of us are too stubborn. We've got to keep that in mind too. Now in verse five, Joseph had a dream. That dream became a vision for what God had for him, okay? So let's keep that in mind. Joseph's dream was God's vision for his life, okay? Then what did he do when he had that dream? He immediately told it to all the brothers. And they loved him and thought he was great and lifted him up on his shoulders and gave him a party. No, they hated him for it. They hated him for it. When we declare this is the dream we have for our life, there are people that won't agree with it. When we declare this is the dream we have for our family, we've had we've a lot of fight back on that over the years i told the boys i said i'm not going to be a family that worships sports i have no problem with sports sports has its place sports teaches you teamwork it teaches you wonderful things but i've seen so many families out there that chase their kid from sport to sport to sport to sport to sport that they don't do anything else except for run their kids around especially when you have more than one kid Now, I mean, the family's torn apart where mom's going to this sport and dad's going to this sport and kids are, you know, wondering why mom and dad, they're just chasing them everywhere. So I told the boys growing up, I said, every school year from the beginning of school, this school year to the beginning of the next school year, you can pick one sport, right? And I really encouraged football because I just don't like basketball. So I was like, you really want to pick football, right? Football. Why? You know what? Because football, they do their practice. They have one game per week. It's usually on a Friday night or when they were in the JFL. It was on Saturday. I could make that, right? You get into baseball, and you've got games all over the place, and every weird night of the week, same with basketball. All this, I thought, it was great, and they picked football, and it was wonderful. And I said, as you get into high school, where you can drive yourself, and you have your own car and your own responsibility, by the time you're a sophomore, about that, that age. If you want to do more sports, you can do more sports. But the one sport you pick at the beginning of the year, all the way through your senior year, that's the one I will pay for the equipment. I will help you and support you in it. But you pick another sport, you're responsible to buy your own shoes, do your own thing. That's your choice. I will support one and that's it. Boy, I tell you, when we talked about that at church and with our friends, we took flack. You are setting your kids up for failure. Your kids are never going to be successful. Every college looks, they they only look at multi-sport kids. You know, the coach, when the people in the school were telling us this, well, if they're not a multi-sport kids, colleges are going to look down on them, they're going to be failures in their life and they're never going to get anywhere. People look at you and will judge you based on the vision that God's put on your life. When God tells you to do things a certain way, which what I was raising my kids to understand is there are one tenth of a hundredth of a percent of kids that will do anything with sports out of high school. Yes, it teaches you teamwork, but there's a lot of other ways you can work learn teamwork, right? Working at Dairy Queen, you're learning teamwork, you're learning bosses, you're learning sometimes your boss is human and they have a bad day, and that bad day means you're not going to have the best day, and you got to learn how to deal with people. That teaches you just as much as any team sport that's out there, learning how to deal that, you know, even though it's a great employee that you absolutely love, everybody that even even people that you love are gonna have a bad day you gotta learn how to deal with it. it teaches you a lot right so when God gives you a vision for what you're supposed to do in your life and in your family and in our church they're gonna be people that don't agree with it there are gonna be people that say um, you know I can't stand that right now Joseph had a dream he told his brothers and they hated him even more verse six so he said unto them please hear this dream which I have dreamed right in other words I know you're mad I know you don't like this but please listen he realized there was an urgency behind it There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheave arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, shall you, this is what they heard when he said this, shall you indeed reign over us? See, there's times where God will lead us to do things as a person, as a family, and as a church where others won't understand why. They won't understand why. Joseph never went into leadership in Egypt to be over his family. But when he went into the leadership of Egypt, it provided life for his family. The bowing down picture was not about them submitting to him, it was about God providing a way. But they misinterpreted the dream. There are people that will see things that you do personally and in your family and in the church that look like they're one way and look like you're something you're not when God's saying, I'm trying to provide a path and a way that you don't die. Now, his brother said to him, so you will reign over us? That's all they saw. You think you're better than us. You think you are going to control us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words because they couldn't actually see the dream come to pass they're hating his words there's times when the word of god will come out that people hate it when god's saying i want you to give to the church people are like ah, i'm you know talk about my money i don't want to do that well i want you to raise your kids a certain way oh man you start telling people how to raise their kids that's real get parents in dander man you don't tell any parents how to raise their kids right it's crazy it's crazy. I mean, I've dealt with people when, we, when I was working at a hosp- the hospital back up in Illinois. You know, some kid go running through the hallway. I'm like, look, this is a place where sick people are. We're going to walk. We're going to be quiet. Why? You, do, you don't have the right to tell my kid how to do anything. I'm like, well, then you need to control your child. because This is a place where people are resting and they need to be quieter. I will ask them to leave. Right? But people get all worked up. You don't tell my kid what to do. Well, if you... Never mind. <laughs> <coughs> Thank you, Jesus. Verse 9, he dreamed another dream. And told it to his brothers, said, Look, I've dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, moon, and the stars all bowed down before me. He even told his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down before you? And then something happened here in verse 11. Brothers hated and envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. His father didn't check out on him his father realized i might not understand this i might think this looks weird but i've been with god long enough that i realize i need to pay attention to this so there's some wisdom in dad here there's some wisdom to realize god doesn't always tell us the outcome when he tells us the vision he just says this is what i want you to do and it's going to be bigger than you can ever imagine So there's four ways that you realize God's vision in your life that I want to talk about this morning. And the first one I want to, the first point where it's on your notes there is sometimes you have to dare to dream. It takes courage to dream for God. It takes courage to have these visions and dreams. It takes courage to say, I remember being back in Illinois saying, we're moving to Florida, starting a church. And they were like, well, are you going to do it this way? Or I'm sure there's churches out there hiring pastors. I'm sure there's this. I'm sure there's that. Everybody thinking they've got a better way of doing something. And we're like, we're following what God told us to do. When I was in Illinois and God said, go start a church. Did I see this place? Did I see all of this? Did I know who was coming? I didn't know any of this, right? But God said, go, right? When, when we were younger and God said, don't let your kids get so involved in sports that it controls everything with their life, I didn't realize the outcome that it was. I see now as my boys are in college, right? As they're great employees and employers love them and fight over them and pay them great money because they are hardworking kids In a generation of kids that don't wanna do anything. I realize now why God said do things the way that he did, even though I might not have seen it back then, right? Sometimes you have to dare to dream. You have to dare to dream. Joseph dared to dream like verse 5 Joseph had a dream he told his brothers and they hated him dreams are a way that God can start speaking to you dreams and visions and 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 he will show you things to come is what the Bible said right now that's dreams and visions can be similar but are also different right your young men shall see visions your old men shall dream dreams well, me wearing this knee brace up here, feeling like I should be dreaming some dreams, <laughs> feeling my age a little bit. For those that don't know, I pulled a muscle. I think I told everybody, but anyway. But there are times, and this happened recently too, where I felt like in my dream, the Lord was trying to tell me something, and as soon as I woke up, I wanted to write it down. I wanted to write it down. But you know, dreams can also be influenced by different things, right? How many of you watched a movie and then all of a sudden, you know, I watch a James Bond movie, and then in my dream, I'm the James Bond super spy doing stuff, you know. Dreams are influenced by the input that's in your life too. And I encourage you, if you want to have more dreams about vision and what God has for you, then before you go to bed, spend time focusing on the Word and praying. And we pour into that, and it'll come out in your dreams. God will start, because you've, you've awakened your spirit man. And then even though your body is sleeping, your spirit man is still communing with the Lord. You'll start to see a change in your in your dreams and your sleep and all of it. I find that there's nights where if I'm doing the wrong thing before I go to bed, I won't sleep well. Wrong thing by watching action movie or eating too much pepperoni pizza or something, you know, whatever meat it is, you know. Certain things will affect your dreams, affect your sleep. Dreams can be your spirit working things out at night, and God wants to speak through your dreams. Sometimes it's, it, it takes courage to dream. It takes courage to think. There's too many people out there that make excuses, and I've listed some of these on here. Why don't you dream, why well, I'm too young? Well, Joseph was 17. David was a kid, right, tending the father's sheep when he all of a sudden was called in from the field and the prophet said he's gonna be the next king, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were teenagers when thrown into a fiery furnace. If you look it up, they were teenagers. Standing for God, standing against the nation's king as a teenager. They dared to dream right or you can say i'm too old well abraham and sarah were what 190s i mean they were old when god was fulfilling visions in their life you can say i'm too much of a failure well you can look at rahab she'd lived a life of you know being a harlot not so good and god said i still want to use you and change your whole life and turn everything around for the good failure is not fatal let's remember this people failure is not fatal god's not looking for perfection he's looking for obedience failure is not fatal. It doesn't matter what mistakes we've made. Forgiveness, repentance, that blood of Jesus washes it all away. And he says, I still have a plan. I don't care how old you are. You can say, well, maybe I just got born again, right? I'm just, I'm new to God. So was Paul. Paul was killing Christians. And now all of a sudden what happened? There's a reason why in the New Testament, it says that Paul lost his sight. And then he went and visited and he got his sight back. What he really got was spiritual sight, his ability to see things for see truth for what it really is it doesn't matter how new you are your life can be radically changed by God and be used by him right you can say I've got too many problems and issues in my life well so to Joseph they threw him in a well he ended up in prison right all of this happened before he ever saw his dreams and visions fulfilled just because you have problems that happen in your life just because circumstances say things are going wrong doesn't mean the vision for God is dead in your life <coughs> right it says, I'm too hurt by other people. There's too many other people, right? Joseph's own brothers sold him, his own family, the people that he was supposed to be trusting the most ended up being the people that hurt him the most. It says, well, I'm not where I ought to be. In other words, I should be further in there. I should be this or I should be that. That's us putting, putting constraints on God, right? That Joseph, Daniel, Esther, Ruth, Nehemiah, you can go through the whole Testament of people that weren't quite where God wanted them to be, but that doesn't hold back the fact that the vision is still there. And when we tune into it, God can speed up time, right? And he can get us to the place where we need to be to be in the right place at the right time. There is no excuse to not dream, to not think big. And this is a three-part sermon because, yes, we want to talk about what the church is going to do, and we're going to do that a little bit later, but I want to challenge you. What's God telling you to dream for your life? Whether this dream is to, to start a, a business or to, or to do something completely different or out of the box. No matter what the dream is, God's saying it's time to dream, and dreams for your family and dreams for this church, okay? Then you've got to define the dream. Put some dates and parameters on it. Right? I said this: date it, detail it, deadline it, and make it a devotion. In other words, put a date on it. By this time, we want to do this. By this time, we want to do this. Put dates on things. Then add some details. Write it all down. Right? You'll never, again, you'll never know if you hit the target if you don't date it. Put some details behind it and say, this is what I'm going to do. Right? And then by this time, I want to have this done. And put your faith towards it. And like that's what I've said. By the time our lease is up, I want so many people in this church that we're looking for a new building right? I'm so convinced of that, that as Tiffany and I are driving around town, we're both looking going, I would like to have a church there. I think our church would look really cool here. We've seen several building locations. We're already out there looking for places, even though this is not full yet. It doesn't stop me from dreaming. It doesn't stop me from knowing God has a plan and a purpose. He's got a place for us. He's got a next step for us. He's got something else. He already knows who's going to be here long before we ever do. Right, so that dream doesn't stop my future actions of of thinking it. And I want to put a deadline to it, which we've said we've signed a one year you know lease on this place. By that one year lease, we want to be looking for another place because we've outgrown this place. And then daily devotion. Do you think about your dreams every day? You wake up in the morning and saying, All right, God, you told me this. I'm gonna I'm gonna meditate on this. I'm gonna look for maybe a Something I'm gonna to need to make this happen, or look into the paperwork of starting a business or starting a new project, or, or do I need a certain tool? Is there something I'm gonna to need to do this? You know, I'm out looking at different buildings for the church. You know, we're gonna talk about all this transition steps between here and there later on in the message, but do you think about it every day? Right? What does it say in Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven? I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of prosperity and hope. The crazy part about that chapter and that scripture is that's in the midst of the children of Israel rebelling against God. If you read that whole thing in Jeremiah, he's telling them this when they're in rebellion. He's looking at the church saying, you're not obeying me, you're doing horrible things and you're not following after me, but my thoughts towards you are of hope and a future and expected end. He's laying out a vision for them to take them out of the place of the mess they're in. Read it. Put it in your list for this week. That's not even in my notes. But in Jeremiah 29, he is prophesying vision for their future when they're in a place of chaos and mess. And he's trying to get them out of it. That's what God does to us. When we talk to him about our vision, our future, he gives us this goals to get us out of where we are now into what he has for us. But do we think about it every day? Do we we think about what God has for us every single day? are we thanking him for it every morning thank you father that you're filling up this church building thank you father that you have a future for my kids that the vision you've laid before us is a wonderful vision and it's even bigger than i could ever possibly imagine i couldn't even i couldn't even think about the outcome of what's going to happen with what you've shown me but i know we're heading in the right path i have no idea what the next church is going to look like but i know it's going to be amazing because god already said it was going to be amazing now do you think about it every day? Do you keep it in front of your eyes? Do you do the Joshua 1, 8, meditate therein, right? Day and night, observe to do according to all this writtenings, for then your way will be prosperous and have a good success. Are you meditating on God's vision for your life? What he's, what he's told you in his word, as well as what he's told you in your spirit, man, when you've talked to him. Then you, what you have to do, you have to do just like Joseph did. You have to declare it. You have to start speaking it out. You need to start telling other people about it, Right? Because when there's no declaration to it, when there's no speaking it out, we're not doing what God did. What did God do? He spoke it out. We went through this for many weeks talking about confession, talking about speaking things out, talking about your words and the power of your words. That speaking process is part of the faith process to see God's vision come to place in your life by saying this is gonna happen this is going to happen. I know God told me to do this, and this is what we're going to do. I don't know how. It doesn't seem like it's going to work right now, but God has said it's going to happen, so it's going to happen, and by you using those words to create life, it's opening the door for God to step in and start changing things to create that vision that's going on. You're using your words to align with God to create the vision that's in your life, right? Verses 5 through 10, Joseph declared both of his dreams to his family. But you have to care enough to share and declare. Put that care, share, and declare. If you care deeply about something, you're willing to share it with others. And by sharing it with others, it becomes a declaration of what God put in your life of that vision. The things that we want to share with other people is something we care about deeply, right? When I came in this morning, I told just about everybody here about the shirt that I'm wearing today because the kid in the front row that's sleeping bought it for me. Right? talking about you and you're sleeping in church this isn't a couch hasn't done that since we were at our own house it's the blanket is what it is I should have had it warmer in here right but I cared enough about the shirt that he bought me and that he put thought into this and knew that I like palm trees that I cared about this enough and I was so excited about this I shared it with everyone that's here right when you care about something God has for you when you know this is something you want to tell people you want to tell people and you know by telling people that some people who are your friends are also filled with faith are gonna link up with you and be excited about it, but you also know other people are gonna be like, why are you doing that? And I, how is that gonna come, you know? They start questioning things. Why did you put palm trees in your church logo? What's the big deal about palm trees? I like palm trees. God says you give me desires your heart, nothing wrong with that, put a palm tree, deal with it. <laughs> Joseph was willing to go all in on his vision or dream. Did Joseph know that he was going to be in charge of all these things in Egypt? He had no idea. Did he know what was going to happen? No. All he knew is God gave me a dream, and now I've got something to strive towards, and I'm going to talk about it all the time. He shared it with his family because it was bubbling up within the inside of him. The more you focus on it, the more it's in front of you every day, the more it's part of your devotion. You know this is part of your future. It's ruminating on the inside, and it's going to continue to come out. Some people are going to get tired of you hearing, you know. Why does every Sunday, Pastor Paul, saying this church is going to be full? Why is every Sunday he's talking about what's next? We haven't even done what we got now. That's how vision works. That's how faith works, okay? Then you've got to learn how to defend your dream because guess what? There are dream killers in this world. There are a lot of dream killers in this world, whether it be circumstance, whether it be people. Close friends can be dream killers. There's a lot of dream killers because vision requires faith, Requires faith. Vision that God gives you will always be beyond you. You'll look back and say, God, I don't know how to do all of this. I'm, I'm trying to figure this all out of whatever it is you've called me to do. It requires faith. It requires leaning on him and knowing, all right, you said to do this. Show me, teach me, grow me, whatever it takes To get to the point where you want us to be requires faith. Joseph spoke about his dream before he fully understood the meaning or how God would use him. Abraham left his family and obeyed God long before the blessings ever showed up, right? Joshua saw the victory even when everyone else saw the giants and the problems. He saw the promised land. There are times where we have to keep our eyes on the promised land, not the giants that are in the way. Amen? Vision requires sacrifice and perseverance, right? Joseph was taken away from his family, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, put in a house, put in prison before he ever long made it into the palace. There are times in your vision walk that you're gonna feel like you've been put in prison before the palace. And you have to recognize it doesn't change the vision God gave me even though it appears I'm in a place that's not where I'm supposed to be. But there was a reason God had him there. There's tests and trials. We talked about this. There's suffering for the kingdom. There's times where God's going to try your faith. He's going to test your faith. He's going to say, are you really believing this or not? Are you going to stick with this even when times are hard, right, even though it doesn't look like or Are you going to walk away at the first moment of any sort of hardship or persecution? It requires sacrifice and perseverance. Vision governs you with integrity, right? All of a sudden, he started being a slave working in this guy's house. The wife liked him, right? She decides, I want to take this slave guy, and he was like, no. The integrity of my vision keeps me from doing any of this nasty stuff, no matter what the owner or the, this, this guy's wife tries to do, right? There are times where you will be enticed away from God's vision with things that are not right. You have integrity in what God's telling you to do. Is there integrity in the vision? We know, and we'll, we'll talk about this as we get to it, we know what we're called to do as a church. Are we going to stick with it? Even though it's not what every other church is doing, even though there's a lot of other churches out there that are swinging their pastors in on zip lines, I don't know, what are we doing, right? Are we gonna maintain the integrity or are we gonna compromise integrity to try to get an appearance of growth? Mm. A lot of churches have done that. Now, just because a church has growth doesn't mean they've compromised their integrity, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just throwing throw that out there. Okay, now, vision stays humble and forgives. You know, when Joseph made it to the place where he was in charge of all of this and his family showed up, the people that had sold him into slavery, the people that had abandoned him, the people that had laughed at his vision, the people that had been mad at him, he still said, God did this for a reason, and you're part of that reason. I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to move on. I'm going to hug my brothers, tell them I forgive them. He tested them at first to see if their heart was right, but then he welcomed them with open arms. There are times in your vision walk where there'll be people that are against it and later on we will realize theirs of their ways and it'll come back. And that's where vision requires us to stay humble. See, the moment that happens, if we don't stay humble and walk in forgiveness, we begin to kill the future vision God has for us. That stops the process. Humbleness and forgiveness keep us in God's vision. And remember this, the vision is always bigger than what you can see. See, even though Joseph reached a point to where he was over all the grain and he counseled the Pharaoh and he rescued his family, he also rescued an entire nation way beyond his family, way beyond the nation of Israel all the way into the Egypt. God had a plan for him to be big. I mean, it was a bigger plan than he ever imagined. It was way beyond just his family. The plan that God has for you, even though it looks like it's for something small like this or to do something, it's way bigger than we can ever dream it to be. God says, my plans and visions are so vast and beyond anything you could ever possibly imagine. Okay. So what's God's vision for Living Word Church? Good morning. What's God's vision for Living Word Church? Well, first and foremost, as we've taught in many sermons, in many ways, we are a spirit first church, right? We are a spirit. We have a soul, mind, will, and emotions. We live in a body. Just as we are a spirit first human being, we wanna be a spirit first church. We've talked a little bit about that, but just to reiterate, what does it mean to be a spirit first church? Well, it means when we come here, we wanna know what the Lord wants to do. It's not about us getting what we need. It's about God getting what he needs. He's the creator of the universe. It's also about us seeing each other after the Spirit. I'm not going to look at natural flaws. I'm not going to look at natural annoyances. I want to look at someone after their highest person. That's their spirit man. What did God make them to be? I want to see them after the best that they can be. I want to see the best in everyone that's here. And the way to see the best in other people is to see them as a spirit person first and treat them that way. Not get annoyed by a bodily flaw, right? or a soul flaw, mind, will, and emotions, or even develop soul ties. We haven't really dive into that too much, but maybe one of these days we will. A soul ties, basically, I have a, an emotional connection with something that's going on. There's a lot of churches and people out there that make ministry decisions based on soul ties. This person is my great friend, so I'm gonna make a ministry decision because we have a friendship that is very deep. That's a soul tie. That's a soul tie. Not always gonna lead you in the right direction. Because your soul is not your highest part of your being, your spirit man is. And there's times where your spirit man will say, leave the soul ties behind and follow after me. And we have to realize what's more important, our friendships and our deep soul connections with people are what our spirit man's telling us to do, right? Now, we are a spirit first church. We need to see other people after the spirit. We need to learn how to worship him in spirit and in truth what that means is that we are worshiping from him from our highest person which is our spirit man and we're worshiping him him as a spirit because god is a spirit we want to worship him in spirit and in truth we need to understand that that has to be first we have to show the power of christ through the holy spirit with signs and wonders following. If this is a spirit first church, then it should be a New Testament church, and there should be miraculous things happening. Whether it's in finances, in healings, in deliverance, and all the things that God says that we're supposed to be doing as a church, that's supposed to be it. I heard it this week. I was listening to a, a preacher, and he was talking about Jesus saying, "I want to make you a fisher of men." Right? Do you know that it said Jesus? We we often say that we're we're fishers of men, but. He says, if you read the New Testament scripture, Jesus was saying, he's the one fishing. Jesus is the one fishing. So what does that make us? We're the bait. (laughs) Think about it. What does the bait do? The bait's the attraction to bring them into Jesus. Are you attracting? Does your lifestyle attract people into Jesus? Or is it a bait and switch? right there's a lot of bait and switch at apps in churches these days right come in for a free breakfast and free this and free that and come watch this concert or whatever right there's this appearance of whatever but then they realize that everybody behind it has no real relationship there's no there's no depth there's no jesus connection there what's the bait that we're using is that bait genuine the signs and wonders following how is your life representing him Are you representing the Father and the Spirit and the Son? Are you representing Him to the fullest to where then when they see you and you're the bait that comes in, it's the same direct match to the Savior that's there for them because you've patterned your life after His life? Or is it this false semblance, this shell, this it looks good on the outside, but there's no depth to anything? I'm gonna end up like the person in Revelation where he said, you know, you've called me Lord, Lord, but your heart is far from. We have no relationship with you there's a shell of what's going on there's a shell I'm I'm grieved for the amount of people that are going to end up in that position I honestly think it's a lot I think it's 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 a representation of what we see in the story of Joseph there's a reason this story is that important there's a reason the story deals with vision but there was 10 brothers 10 brothers that were on the opposite side and then there was two Joseph and Benjamin It's almost a picture of what's going to end up in the New Testament church where two out of the ten, two out of twelve, is going to be what's really a genuine relationship with God. Two out of twelve churches is despicable. These are all in the family. This isn't talking about sinners. This is talking about the church. Two out of twelve churches. Is your relationship with God real? And that's my job as a pastor is to say, look, you got to make him Lord. Right, You start off by making him savor, but you've got to make him Lord. What does it mean to have Jesus Lord of your life? We're going to talk about that a lot this year, too. What does it mean to have him Lord of your life? It means that I run every decision by him. I talk to God about everything that I do, about everywhere that I go. I'm listening on the inside. I change where I'm going, what I'm doing. I'll stop in my tracks with what I've got going on if God's speaking to me in the inside and saying, this is what I need you to do right now. Is he Lord of our life? When we look at all of our budgeting and our finances, or we go to God and say, what do you need first before we even pay our bills? Before we do anything, what do you have for us, God? What, I mean, there's a, lordship is a completely different picture than a lot of people are comfortable with. And a lot of them, most people in most per- churches will go to church to get what they want out of God instead of do what God wants for them. And it's a completely reversed picture second thing we're called to do and this is a multi-faceted it's going to cover a lot of stuff but teach reach and restore was the most as the easiest way i could kind of summarize it all we're to teach reach and restore we're to teach people we're supposed to teach truth and there's a reason we talked about truth last sunday and i thought it was it was really good and really timely but we're supposed to teach the truth there's a lot of fluff out there there's a lot of uh, of people I, I was talking to several other people who were talking about you know, going to a church service and they might have one scripture and then a whole bunch of really good thoughts. Well, that's great, but I'm often I, I am the firm believer that if you want to build a belief, you need a preponderance of scriptures. I want at least four. To, to four scriptures to form one belief and if we're building a sermon i'm going to have a lot of scriptures i'm going to see a lot of scriptures up on the stage you'll have a print off and you'll go home and you need to study the word and search the scriptures right you need to use those as a building block for what god's trying to build here in our church which requires before it's built out there it's built in here so that teaching gift is something that's very strong and something we are not going to stray away from Right? We want to be a teaching church. We want to show people the truth of God's word and allow it to build a foundation in them that can withstand the storms. Right? And that's discipleship through relationships. But that teaching gift doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop here. Right, So I'm the one, the pastor of the church, listening to the Lord, telling them what's going on. But the way the discipleship picture works in the church is that you are the hands and feet. You are the ones that are reaching out. You're the ones that are going out and sharing other things. Every time you're here on a Sunday morning and God shows you something in the word, yes, number one, is for you to help you grow. Number two, it's for your family. Number three, it's for you to share with someone else. You become the teacher at that point. There's someone at your work, in in the work, in your friendship. Somewhere out there, somebody needs to hear something that you're learning. That's discipleship. Ultimately, you're taking these truths to lead other people to Christ, to bring them into the body, right, so that you can grow together for them to grow to a point where they're now teaching other people and they're reaching people that you couldn't even reach and you're off to reach someone else and everybody's growing. That's the picture of a healthy, functioning church. That's discipleship through relationships, each of us helping the other mature and bringing in new people into the body of Christ. Okay, we need to be outward focused, not just a bunch of wally sheep. You know, much fat. Ever seen the movie Wally, where the people are in the little floating things and they all they do is eat, and their bone structure is practically nothing, and they've just become much fat sheep, right? We come to church on Sunday morning and we get the word, which is prepared for us, right? but it's for us to take and also prepare for everyone else that's around us we can't just be consumers of the word we also have to be doers of the word we need to take it out there's a bigger picture to that we need to be outward focus growing our ourselves and our family and those people that are around us we have to know what's most important to God and that's people that's people people are the single most important thing to God that's the treasure of this earth So we have to understand that if we have the heart of the Father, then we're not inwardly focused, we're outwardly focused. We're concerned with everyone else that's around us. So we need to begin to grow, and we have to plan for that growth, right? Just like I'm saying we're gonna fill this place up and we're gonna plan for the next building, we're doing that in all levels. Now everything we've done, and this seems a little silly, but you see these giant speakers on stage. Guess what? These giant speakers will last us through several transitions, and they will be plenty loud. We can even add another one to it if we so desire, right? But everything we've done, everything we've purchased or it's been donated or we've done is all something that is expandable, growable. It's something that can fill into what God. We are not just thinking about this space. We're thinking about four steps ahead. It's that same thing. I was telling Dave, if we see a church that's selling used chairs or giving them away, I will pay for a storage unit to get chairs before we ever need them to be prepared for what God has, right? How many times have people been praying, oh God, we want our church to be a 1,000 people and reach a 1,000 people, but yet they don't have nursery workers, they don't have parking lot team, they don't have any of the things in place necessary to handle what they're praying for They're just expecting it to happen, and they'll think about the details when they get there. It's not how God works. God says, I want you to start planning and preparing now like you're ready to move into that phase, and that's how growth happens. So that's what we're doing as a board. But we're planning and preparing our budget for the year for the growth that we know is going to happen before it ever happens, right? We're also setting teams. We want to start setting teams in place. And we've set our worship team in place. That was the first one. We're going to start setting other teams in place. As you know, they say in the average serving industry, where it works in churches and, and events and other big things along those lines, but you should have 3.5 helpers for every 10 people visiting. So if your church is 100 people, you should have 35 people serving in your church. If your church is 1,000 people, you need 350 people on your serving team. That's a lot. That's a lot of people that are serving to help people that are coming in. 3.5 for every 10 is what they're they're saying is the average. He said most people have more than that. Or most churches have less. Most events have more, which tells me that some people are more invested invested in events than they are churches. To get people to serve in churches, they're begging, begging. It's usually 10% of the people that do 100% of the work is the average in churches in America. Our church in Illinois was the anomaly. We had... 30% 30% of 30 to 40% of the people that were helping out and volunteering and, and you know donating their time and helping. And we were a serving church because why? Because that was on the DNA stick put before the sheep. That's what was taught from the pulpit. That was grown in the church is that there is blessing in serving because that's what the Bible says. Jesus says, I come to serve, seek and save the lost. But he came as a servant. When we learn that the blessing of the kingdom comes in being a servant and understanding servanthood, then we realize this is what God has called us to be, and this is what the church should be. And it's a shame that churches are not that way. That shows a consumer-based church instead of a servant-vision-based church the way God has created it to be. Now, we know that uh, we are planning for the future in our budgeting and everything that we're doing. When we looked at our whole budget for the year, we, we realized as a board that we're gonna have to revisit this budget in June or July because by June or July, we're gonna see all the growth We'll have a better picture on what the growth is and probably have to rewrite the whole budget at that point and expand all the different things that are going on. We're already planning on redoing everything halfway through the year, knowing that by summertime we're gonna see tremendous amount of growth. And for those, I think I shared this with a few people, but when my pastor was down from Illinois, Pastor Doug and Lucinda came down for a day and we got to spend a whole day with him. It was fantastic. We had a wonderful time. We talked about several different things. The first is he was asking what do you know, what do we need? And I says, Well, mostly you're my pastor you know if I got a spiritual question he'd send you an email give you a call and he's already made that available he also does a weekly leadership teaching up there that was on pause for a long time but they've now brought back I said access to that that audio teaching I said just listening to the leadership teaching that you're producing on a weekly basis stirs things in my spirit there's a connection because that's my pastor so on and so forth the connection back to it The last piece is he's going to begin a ministry organization and be a group of churches that begin to work together under the same vision, under the same purpose uh, and, and, and have some things and we want to be part of that association. Uh, it's not one of those things where we're sending a bunch of money into the association. It's not about control. It's about how can we help each other? How can we plant more churches, help more people grow? How can we reach? How can we train the way God wants a church to grow um, through this, this organization structure? And how can we help pastors succeed um, and have, have health together? You know, saying we're a small church, just gotten started down here. Um, we need someone to come preach in the pulpit. I don't wanna give the pulpit up to just anyone. I won't, I refuse. I will do whatever sacrifice necessary to make sure the word of God is brought from this pulpit. I'm not just gonna have some random person come in and share something because I don't believe that's how it's supposed to be, right? But to know there's a trusted source of this person is, is in Pastor Doug's church and I know that he has laid on them the, the level of accountability, the level of teaching that needs to happen from the pulpits in this organization. I know what I'm gonna get, basically so there's an organization that's going to slowly form over the next year or two that we want to be a part of but we also know a big part and this is something that was laid on my heart long before i even moved here but um there's a reason why god sent us to pensacola there's a reason why we are in this location i know that god is all about place the blessing is poured out when you're in the right place Right? If you don't go where God is telling you to go, you won't receive the blessing God's poured out because He's poured it out where He's told you to go. And if you're not on that road or in the place that He's called you to, you don't receive the blessing because you're in the wrong place. There's a reason that God said, Come to Pensacola. There's a reason that He sent us to this place. Right? So we want to take advantage of our location. We want to take advantage of who we are. Now a big thing that's been on my heart for many years is burnout is a very real thing in the ministry. So a lot of pastors they're saying Over the next 5 to 10 years, 60% of the churches in the United States are going to lose their pastor, whether he's retiring or he just quits the ministry altogether and leaves. Because when church is done wrong and when there's no support structure and there are things that are issues, it puts too much natural pressure on something that's supposed to be carried spiritually, and it creates burnout. That's where burnout comes from in the ministry. We want to be a place of restoration. We want to be a place of reward, a place of healing. So we've set aside a, a, for this year, just a small amount, it's two or $3,000 in our budget to be a restoration place. Love to be able to reach out not only to our community, but to be this place of restoration. There's something about going and sitting at the beach, right? Dave used to share this, Dave and Melanie, back when we first came here. Come to the beach, it's a peaceful place, and you just, you just know God, and I'm, I'm convinced that there's a reason why we're in this place. We want to take the full resources of our resort destination location and take it and use it for the kingdom. That's the purpose. God is going to use this church to take hurting people and bring them back into the kingdom. Whether they're ministry people, regular people, this is a place that's supposed to restore people back to a rightful calling. Now, we're also called to build strong families and marriages. Families are under attack parenting is under attack husband, the, you know, marriage husband and wife is under attack the devil wants to destroy the family picture because it's our picture of kingdom it's our picture of how our kingdom relationship and how our relationship with God is supposed to work I, I've said it many times I'll say it again my relationship with my wife is the closest earthly example I have to my relationship with the Father and Holy Spirit it's this level is the closest natural thing and I've learned more about my relationship with God through my marriage than I've learned anywhere else right and wrong. Things I've done right or things I've done wrong. I've learned more about my relationship with God through this than anything else. So we want to build strong families. We want to encourage marriages. We want to encourage the dad being the head of the house. Strong men. Strong men build a strong church. There's a truth behind that. We want want to be a place that draws in strong men. And strong men will lead families into the future that God has for them. We wanna understand the blueprint of our relationship with him. We wanna fix leadership in the home so that leadership is fixed in the church and everywhere else. We wanna see relationships restored. We wanna see marriages restored. We wanna see hurts and and broken families restored, whether it be with kids or parents or grandparents. We wanna see restoration in families. And we wanna see love done God's way. See, the world is after love right now. They wanna define love as lust, and lust as love, is what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's not the same. It's not the same. Love isn't this feel-good cover that just allows everything to happen. Sometimes love hurts. They had it right in the 80s when they wrote that song. (laughs) Love (laughs) (laughs) hurts. Right? Sometimes love shares the truth even when the truth isn't the popular thing to say. Love doesn't celebrate sin. Love conquers everything though and will true love can change everything and change the world and it changes for friendship we want to understand and and do love God's way we also want to change our city our nation and our world and everything that we do we should be focused on what does Pensacola need from God and right now we're a little small so we're focusing on what's the little things that we can do we're looking for local ways that we can get involved in our community and give back whether it's we donate $50 to a local mother's shelter or a women's shelter or something, we want to find ways as a church to give back to our community. Uh, there were several big things up in Illinois. They have a massive food pantry. They, they, they supply food for 40 to 50 families on a monthly basis out of this little church in Illinois. I mean, they're in a town of, of 400 people, and yet they're reaching tons of people. Just because we're a small church doesn't mean we can't do big things for God. We want to be involved in what's going on. We need to be, you know, involved in local issues, needs and growth, to be a church that says, hey, we have a hurting family. We can step in and help and show them the true love of Jesus, right? We want to be that way. We also need to start praying for change in our nation. Our involvement on the governmental level, according to the Scriptures, is prayer. If you're not praying for the nation and the government right now, then you're not doing what God told you to do. When it comes to our national government, our prayers to change the government will directly affect the amount of persecution that we're going to have to walk through. If we don't spend enough time praying for the government, we're going to end up with more persecution. That's what will happen because they'll try to step in and try to control everything. Our prayer needs to begin to change that. We need to start reaching out to the world and allowing God to stretch us and think beyond our nation Right? We want to, we're going to start supporting uh, global ventures. We have uh, pamphlets and information. I think they made it to a chair. They were on the edge of the table. But there's pamphlets about an organization that we're going to start partnering with. And in the future, we're also going to start partnering with the ministry association. Um, the ministry association that Pastor Doug is forming up in Illinois involves an organization of churches in Guatemala. Um, and they have a head of that organization, Pastor Guillermo. Um, and the church in Illinois has been involved with them. They have a school um, where kids come to the school and they help support kids at the school, which I think is ridiculously cheap. They can do like a whole school year for 30 bucks a kid or something. Well, how much, I, I'm trying to remember how much it was. But they, you can support a kid to go to this Christian school for a small amount. And eventually we're going to get involved with that. For now, uh, the Lord led us this direction first. Global Ventures is a friend of mine, John and Martine Smithwick, that I went to Bible school with and I've known them for a very long time. But they started an organization that organizes mission trips. And this isn't just your typical feel-good missions trip. Uh, He was telling me about the the trip they did in South America where they did a convention, and there was 30,000 people that showed up. They saw miracles. They saw healings. They saw lame walk, blind eyes open. power of God moved while they were there, and thousands upon thousands got saved. There is something to be said about being on the mission field and realizing a true hunger for God that's missing in America. People in America have it really fairly easy, even though they might not think so. And they have no idea what it means to be in a third world country or to be in a place that is truly desolate. And going on a missions trip opens your eyes naturally and spiritually to things like you've never seen before. We want to support missions. We want to support reaching reaching the nations. Whether it's a small dollar amount now that we send with him, I told him we're going to start sending a small amount to a missions every week. And then with by 2025, I want him and his wife to come in and speak. I want you to meet them and learn. And then they're going to start talking to us about missions trips. And, and um, I'd love to take I've been to Thailand several times. My grandparents were missionaries. Uh, they're buried in Thailand. I have a whole history of missions in my family. And I'll never forget. The one that I've got multiple stories, but the one that really got me wasn't a blind eyes opened. I mean, although we saw miracles happen on the mission field. The one thing that really changed my life, I was sixteen years old. We were at a missions trip in Thailand, and we were in uh, Bangkok in the heart of Bangkok. actually, there's a pretty good sized church there, and we were going in and out of schools and we were doing a drama. I went with teen mania back in the day. It took teenagers overseas, and they were taking. I don't know 15,000 teenagers a year I mean they were doing a lot on all these mission trips and I was in a, a group there were three or two teams that were in Thailand at the same time my team had 45 people in it so I was in a group of 45 with leaders teenagers and they taught us a drama so we had a boom box about the size of that speaker right there actually a little bit smaller and it had all of the music and the narration in the Thai language. And then we had learned to do this drama with the narration in their language, and it was the story of the cross. But it was called The Journeyman, right? And it was this uh, a guy in a white T-shirt. Uh, well, Actually, the first year, there was, there was the, 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 guy, the good guy in the white T-shirt, and then there was Satan who came in with the black robe. And he was the bad guy, so on and so forth. And the first year, I was the bad guy. And I led no one to Christ. No one wanted to talk to you because they watch this drama and they listen to the story and you have become the bad guy and they won't come talk to you. They don't want anything to do with you because they now see you as the bad guy, right? That was hard. It was real. The second year I was the journeyman. So it was the good guy. All right. I'll never forget on that year we were at a school and there was a whole bunch of kids first, second, third grade, a whole bunch of kids around. And I had brought a sheet of Walmart stickers, Walmart, you remember the the smiley face. Walmart made its name in that little yellow smiley face. And I had a sheet of Walmart smiley face stickers. And you'd think I was passing out gold. They were so excited to get a sticker. And it changed my life. I've never experienced that much need. I've never experienced that much poverty. I've never experienced somebody seeing a sticker with that much excitement. And it changed my whole outlook on life. I'll never be the same. And I recommend people go on a missions trip, whether it's as a husband or wife. It doesn't matter what age you are, whether you're a teenager or whether you're 80, 90 years old. It don't matter. When you go on a missions trip and you see people that are just desperate for Jesus in that level, it changes who you are. It changes your whole outlook on the world. We want to be a church that supports missions. We want to be a church that starts now by financially supporting an organization, but eventually going on missions trips and making missions trips available and a part of what we do as a church. And this is just the beginning of that. Now, there's that's just a general overview of what God's really pressing on my heart for this for this upcoming year, and there's so much more to it. There's a lot of details, and it would take me weeks upon weeks to go into all the details, but that's kind of a big picture of the things that God really wants us to focus on, boiled down to those four things. In other words, we're spirit first this is spirit first church we're going to focus on what god wants this church will come together every time it gathers whether sundays or turns into sunday wednesdays every time these doors are open we are going to be thinking what does god want what's on his heart not only what does he have for us see he's a father right when the father comes in we see him as a father fathers are cool like this right and i have learned a lot by being a dad there's stuff that we're thinking about that's future but when a father always wants to come and come and give something to his kids that's just a father's heart so yes we want to come together and yes he we are focusing on God first but he's always going to have something for us he's always going to have something he wants to give us he wants the best for us he wants to help us sometimes it's dad brought home a present sometimes it's dad bringing forth a truth that rocks our world That gift from the Father varies from week to week to week, but when we focus on Him and what He needs and focus on the Father, we become that Spirit First Church, and that's what we're going to do. We also want to teach, reach, and restore. We want to be able to teach the Word of God, not only here in this place, but become that teaching lifestyle where it's pouring out of us all week long, everywhere we go. People are going to see us as that bait and realize, I need to be in church, and I want to be in a church where I'm growing and healthy and strong. We want to be a restoration place a place where people come in and get healing from past hurts where we're able to help them get to where God has called them to be right we also want to be a church that's focused forward on the vision of what God has for us and of and not only of of us and of our city and, and things that are going wrong with the world and what the world needs right now is Jesus and a whole lot of him amen father thank you for this morning father we thank you for your word and for the vision for this place. Father, it's a vision that challenges us. We see us, Father, as this small group of people, but you see us, Father, as a group that's gonna grow and grow and grow and begin to affect change like a tidal wave, like ripples in the water, Father, that are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Father we want to stay focused on you no matter what trials, persecutions or situations arise we know what you've called us to do we know what you've said is the vision of this place Father and we're going to hold fast to it we won't be tempted by easy shortcuts or things that are not from you Father but we're going to stay true to the vision you've given us we won't be concerned about the flash in the pan quick answers to things Father but lasting change lasting change in our life and lasting change in this church Father And help us be outward focused for people because that's what's important to you as people. Father, we want to see people restored in Pensacola, our nation, and the world. We want to see sons turned back to their fathers, children restored in families, families restored with their parents, Father, relationships healed where there's been a lifetime of hurt. Father, I'm praying for restoration in families. That you're beginning, Father, as we follow this vision, you're beginning to mend the hearts of those people. You're going to begin to turn the hearts of the fathers to the son and the son to the fathers. Oh, somebody Andana, Thank you, Father. Thank you for the vision for this place. Father, help us speak it out and declare it. Help us begin to prophesy the future for what you've called for us. We're very grateful, Father, that you've chosen us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Paul, and I wanted to thank you personally for joining us today. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do that will help us out. Hit the subscribe button and rate and review our podcasts. If you would like to invest in helping us reach more people for Christ, head over to livingwordpensacola.com and click on the online giving button. Thanks again for joining us today. Now go out and tell somebody about the love of Jesus.